Okay, we're good to go. Good evening again. Good evening to those watching at home. Well, good morning, wherever you, whatever time you're uh, watching this video. I'd love you to have John chapter 6 open. That'd be great. John chapter 6, that was the first reading that Serena read for us. Uh, there's an outline in your bulletins as well. And for those of you who do uh, read ahead, which I hope, I hope you do, I just want to, on the front page of the bulletin, even though I spent a good amount of time checking the front page of the bulletin, um, the, the passages, are, are, well, they're repeated, aren't they? So if you've got a pen there, you can get it from me later if you want. But next week's readings are Deuteronomy 24, 10 to 21 and 1 John 3, 11 to 24. So Deuteronomy 24, 10 to 21, and 1 John 3, 11 to 24. That's next week. Um, if you missed that, just ask me later. That'd be fine. Okay, and we're going to have a Q&A at the end of uh, today as well. So be prepared for that. If you've got a question, a comment, then um, write it down so don't forget. Let's, uh, let's pray as we, ask, uh, as we ask God to help us this, uh, this evening. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord God, that you're kind and, um, and merciful. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you've gathered us together in your name tonight. That's not a fluke we're here or by chance, but you've put us here. And so tonight, Lord, we ask that you would be uh, speaking to us and that we, in response, uh, in trust and obedience, would follow you and love you and your people more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, look, for the average follower of Jesus, there is one particular word that whenever it's mentioned, especially from the front of church, it either invokes a response of pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip type response, or because of feelings of inadequacy, uh, fear and dread with just the mention of this word. It raises our blood pressure to extent that all we really want to do is crawl into a small hole and hope that no one finds us ever. Uh, at least that's some people's reactions and their experience when we talk about sharing the gospel with our friends. When we talk about that word evangelism, uh, talking to our friends about Jesus. Sometimes those are the reactions. Uh, perhaps even now, you're sort of checking out the exits and thinking, how can I get out of here quickly if he asks me to go and do door knocking or something like that? I'm not going to ask you to do door knocking, don't worry. Now, the thing is, though, we've been talking about sharing the gospel with our friends. Really, we've been talking about that the last six weeks as we've gone through these last, uh, well, four chapters of Acts. We've been talking about how the early church grew. So today... It shouldn't really come out of the blue, really. You see, when it comes to sharing the gospel with non-believers, I reckon there are two types of people. There are clearly some <clears throat> who are willing, ready, champing at the bit and able to reach out to their friends and share the gospel. They're happy to talk about Jesus, whether wherever it is. You know, they'll do it anywhere, right? However, there are others who well, aren't as comfortable with evangelism, they find it a real struggle. Uh, they'll, they'll do it in obedience, but gee, it's hard. So I reckon I can illustrate this uh, by saying, I can, I can illustrate these two types of people. Now, truth is, I've actually used this illustration four and a half years ago. So if you can honestly say to me that you remember this illustration, I'll buy you a Mars bar. 
That's the sort of bloke I am. In fact, it's ready in my office, ready to go. I've already bought it. So if you can remember this illustration, come up to the end and say, honest to God, I remember four and a half years ago when you shared that with us. All right? Some people are thinking, some people are thinking I'm, I'm willing to lie about that. Don't. Don't lie about it. Um, otherwise, oh, I've got that Mars bar. That's looking good. See, two types of people. I reckon there are in church, there are bush tucker men and wildlife warriors. Oh, no. You're, 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 you can remember. She's there. She's got it. All right. There you go. Okay. Bush tucker men and wildlife warriors. I don't think you remember other parts of the sermon, but um, there's another one I'm, I sort of changed a little bit. Let me tell you why. Okay. So if you've been around a while, you remember um, Les Hiddens. Okay, he is the, the Bush Tucker man. Now, I, I, he's a legend. In my mind, a legend. He actually introduced me to the love of Land Rovers. Now, I love Land Rovers, but I wouldn't buy one, heavens. Um, no, they, they fall apart the whole time. So, <laughs> I'm not going to buy a Land Rover, but I love looking at them. I love, you know, looking at them on Instagram and so on. Um, so, Les Hiddens was the original Bush, he, he was the original Bush survival expert. He could find you a three-course meal with all the trimmings in the middle of the Sinsman Desert, right? Uh, he's calm and unassuming uh, he, when he talks to others about the bush. And if, he, if needed, he'll keep you alive. While he'll never stand out in a crowd, he's committed to his cause. He's an effective spokesperson for Australia in a sort of a subdued way, right? A uh, relaxed way. Now, in contrast is, of course, the, the, the wildlife warrior, Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, and even like his daughter too, Bindi Irwin, she's, she's really the same. Steve Irwin was passionate and so excited about anything that slithers and crawls and hops and swims, whatever. His enthusiasm was contagious. He was one of the most loved TV personalities going around for quite a long time. His, his death was quite um, devastating. Uh, when he walked into a room, you know, the, the, it, or on a set, everybody knew. And like the Bush Tucker man, he was faithful to his cause and he also loved Australia and the outdoors. Uh, however, he was besotted, uh, almost uh, love-struck when the opportunity to arose to talk about his passion. So whenever there was this possibility of seeing an animal, well, what was it? He'd say, crikey, would you have a look at that? Yeah, that was, that's my impersonation of, um, of Steve Irwin. Now, our problem is that when it comes to sharing the gospel, for some reason, we expect everybody to be croc hunters, uh, wildlife warriors, Steve Irwins, when in reality, well, there's quite a few bush tucker men. So friends, here's where we need to start and finish today. When it comes to sharing the gospel with our friends, telling our friends at school, whoever it might be, about Jesus, God has not made us all the same. He has given us different gifts and responsibilities. And so we're not to live in guilt and fear, but instead, relax. Don't be in fear, don't be in guilt. Relax and be faithful. Uh, relax and be faithful. And, and, and that's, our, that's our big idea to remember this evening. Let me tell you why we should relax and be faithful. Because the power to change lives, the power to bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus is actually not in us, the messenger. The power to change lives is in the message, the word of God. 
Remember Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, so a, a few weeks back now, they were just, remember the term, unschooled ordinary men. That's what they were. Uh, the Sanhedrin recognised them as that. The, the power in them, well, it wasn't in, their, it, it wasn't in them, it, it was in the message, in the word of God. For it is through the message, the gospel, that God's spirit works to bring people to him. So Acts 4 tells us that Peter was filled with the spirit and he preached the word of God and people believed. Well, I want you to come back with John chapter 6. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you have to listen very carefully, um, but uh, it's good to bring your Bible to church, okay? John chapter 6. So the disciples, and that's a, a larger group than, than um, uh, just the 12, were finding some of Jesus' teaching hard. And uh, for, so from, we pick it up from verse 63. Jesus' disciples, or Jesus tells his disciples, the spirit gives life, the flesh, and that's our gifts and abilities, that's us as human beings, um, uh, 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 the disciples, followers of Jesus. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Now we skip down to verse 65. Jesus went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. You don't, know, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, no one can come to God unless God enables them by his spirit. And the spirit, Jesus says, which gives life. And God does this. Jesus says, by his words, the gospel, the message. Jesus has the words of eternal life. So relax and be faithful. The power is in the message and not the messenger. But that's not a relax, oh, I'm going to put my feet up and go, woohoo, we're going to do nothing. Not at all. No, God's promise and God's purpose is that he will use disciples, he'll use believers to make disciples of Jesus. So in God's great plan to bring people to himself in a saving right relationship with Jesus, he uses disciples of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus. Now, there's an old story I read a while ago going around of a, of a, of a group of people who visited an oil refinery, Right. Uh, the tour they were on showed them all the ins and the outs of this oil refinery, the, the vats and the pipes and the chambers and all that sort of, everything you need to, to refine oil. As the tour ended, one of the visitors asked the tour guide, he said, you showed us everything except the shipping department. This type of oil refinery must produce a huge amount of oil, he said, and petrol, but you haven't shown us where they put it into containers and ship it out again. Well, the tour guide answered and said, well, you see, we don't have a shipping department. Everything produced in this refinery is used up as energy to keep the refinery going. <laughs> see, sometimes we think church is like that. But God's church doesn't exist just to keep ourselves going. Our purpose as followers of Jesus or disciples is not just to encourage each other and to sustain ourselves. That's, a, that's an important responsibility as Christians. There's no doubt about it. But our purpose, Jesus says, is to make disciples of Jesus, grow God's kingdom, whether we're bush trucker men 
or whether we're wildlife warriors. Well, here's what Jesus went on to say to that same 12 in John uh, chapter, uh, the same 12 from John chapter 6. He actually said this right at the end of Matthew's gospel. He said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What's everything that Jesus has commanded them? Well, that, of course, is his words. Jesus has given us the words of eternal life in our Bibles, the message, the gospel. So how does God use disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, to make disciples? That's our important question. How does he do that? How does God use disciples of Jesus? If you're a disciple, of, you're a Christian person, you're a disciple of Jesus. How does he use us to go and make other disciples of Jesus, whether it's at work, at school, wherever it might be, at home? How does he use us? Well, on the outline there, you can see I've got three Ps. Three Ps. Very easy to remember. Believers proclaim the gospel, we promote the gospel, and we pray. That's what we do. We proclaim the gospel, we promote the gospel, and we pray. Let's look at that first one. We proclaim the gospel. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and to his wonderful light. What are we? Well, yes, we're the, we're, if you're a Christian person, you're chosen by God. You're that special. You're God's special possession. You're set apart. But then he says, we are not silent. We declare. God's people declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we proclaim, Jesus, that's, that's who we are. It's just what we do as followers of Jesus. We declare. We declare the gospel the message of the risen Jesus Christ, that there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Quoting from Peter again in Acts 4. That, we, we, that forgiveness is a free gift, we declare it. That we can't earn it. That by believing in him we have eternal life. We declare, we proclaim it's who we are as God's chosen people. So, we ought to make sure then that we actually can explain the gospel. If someone asked you, could you explain the gospel? Could you explain God's message without a five-hour sermon? Could you do it? Here's one little tip that I've often used over the years, is that I want to be able to explain, and usually pretty quickly, I want to explain God's story and my story. So what's God's story with us as creation, as human beings? Can I explain that? God's story and can I explain my story of how God has worked in my life can I do that now a helpful way to explain God's story and even my story too is understanding and using a, a gospel tract I've used two ways to live for years two ways to live I like because it's got pictures and who doesn't like pictures right so pictures you can write on a beer you know a beer coaster you can you can do it on a napkin and you can do it on a nice pad um, so you can, uh, uh, you can write it on, um, on anything. All right, so uh, know God's story, know your story. Now, croc hunters amongst us, wildlife warriors amongst us, well, they'll find this much easier, right? proclaiming the gospel. And they're wondering why, right now, why are we still talking about this? Why can't we just go and do it now? Uh, but the reality is there's probably more bush tucker men 
than wildlife warriors when it comes to telling our non-Christian friends about Jesus. The wildlife warriors, well, they, need to, they may need to slow down a little. Uh, listen, uh, learn, be equipped. But the bush tucker men amongst us may need a little prod, you know, some encouragement to take that next step as the language we've been using about sharing the gospel with our friends. Taking that next step about whatever that might be in our relationship with our friends. They may need to be reminded just not to be ashamed of Jesus, not to be silent. I'll never forget hearing a story on, well, actually I first read about it and then I saw the clip on YouTube. Uh, here in the story, this guy, Penn Gillette. Now, Penn Gillette is half the um, comedy duo uh, Penn and Teller uh, from the UK. He's, um, Penn Gillette is a, a very public atheist, still is today. He tells a story, and, and again, you can look it up on YouTube. He tells a story of a, of a time when he was evangelised, as he uses that term. And unexpectedly, he praises this Christian man who walks up to him on the street after a gig and he gives him a Bible and has a conversation with him, just out of the blue, or after a gig. And Penn then speaks of how well-mannered and respectful this Christian man was, and how sincere he was. He was very impressed. And then he goes on to make this very powerful point. He says, after saying how much he respects this man, respected this man, he says this, he said, I don't respect people who don't evangelise. How much do you have to hate someone if you firmly believe something bad is coming their way? That's the judgment of God. To not warn them. That's a good point, isn't it? Never, I've never forgotten it. It's a good point. He says, how much do you have to hate someone if you firmly believe something bad is coming their way and you don't tell them? I'm a, I'm a big fan of, um, of disaster movies. My family, are, I think they're embarrassed by this, actually. Um, but I love a good disaster movie. I watched Independence Day, I've probably seen it 30 times. Um, you know, it's just awesome. I love it. Um, and I can't, there's a new one coming out, too, with uh, Gerard Butler about asteroids coming down the Earth. Like, how good is that? Uh, anyway, I love it. I don't care if it's aliens, asteroids or earthquakes. The world as we know it is under threat. I need to watch it. I need to watch it. But the bad guy in so many of these movies is, well, it's actually usually a politician or a rich guy or something like that. But the bad guy in these movies is the person who doesn't warn the public of impending danger. It's always the bad guy. Uh, friends, the, in the good news of the gospel, the impending danger is not some fictitious alien or asteroid or magnitude 10 earthquake. No, 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 it's something much worse. It's the judgment of God and we need to warn people. We need to warn people. If we love them, we've got to warn them. But we're not all going to be wildlife warriors. That's okay. The Steve Irwins of evangelism. We're not all going to be able to walk up to someone on the street after their comedy gig and give them a Bible and say, let's talk about Jesus. We're not all going to be able to do that. But whoever we are, God says we must not be silent. We must declare the God who saves. We proclaim the good news, as Romans 1.16 says, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So relax, be faithful. The power is in the message we proclaim, not the messenger. Okay, let's go to our, our second uh, P. Because if you're a bush tucker man, believer, all this is probably a little bit daunting for you. 
The Bible is clear, though, that whoever we are as disciples of Jesus, we not only proclaim the gospel, but we also promote the gospel. So as we promote the gospel, opportunities to proclaim the gospel will arise. So I, um, I love uh, the story of, uh, of the church at Thessalonica, modern-day Turkey, as they responded to God's word. So there are a bunch of new Christians. In fact, the church at Thessalonica started on the back of a riot. Imagine if the Robbo Church started on the back of a riot. It'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it, really? Um, that's, no, it's not cool at all. Uh, so, but that's what happened. It started on the back of a riot, a riot in that town. And these, these new Christians formed together and the, on, on, through all this great persecution. They got together and, and Paul tells us how they turned from idols to serve the true and living God. It's a great line about being a Christian person. And they welcomed the message of the gospel with joy. In fact, and I'm quoting now from chapter 1, the Lord's message rang out from them. Their faith in God had become known everywhere, even in the mix of all that persecution, the rioting. They promoted the gospel. It went out by their words and, their, and by their lives like an old-fashioned church bell. Uh, we have one over in the St. John's building over there. One of our wardens, Joe Irvine, he loves to ring it. Um, well, he'd, he'd ring it, he loves to ring it at 8 a.m., whether it's church day or not. It doesn't really matter. He just loves to ring the bell. Um, anyway, uh, but it rings out. What's that? It's not that loud, is it, really? It wakes our family up, but that's about it. Um, but uh, it rings out across the, across the town. This church at Thessalonica, the, the message rang out from them. So I reckon we can put it down to five ways the Bible speaks of promoting the gospel of the message ringing out in our lives. Now, I'm going to go pretty fast. So if you're writing some notes down, strap yourself in. It's going to be quick. Here's the first one. It's already up on the screen. Love. Uh, Jesus says, John 13, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that, what? You are my disciples if you love one another. When we love, we show the world who Jesus is, who we are and what we have to offer. Second one, being different. Uh, remember back to 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. I think I've got that up there, there 9 there. Uh, Christians are different. We're, we're chosen by God. We're holy, set apart, belonging to God. That's the nature of grace, isn't it? We don't earn it. God calls us to himself. But let's keep reading in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that's non-Christians, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now Jesus says the same thing in, um, in Matthew 6, uh, 5, verse 16. There's the, um, the 1 Peter 2 one. I'll go to the next one, 1 Peter 5. Let your light shine before others. Why? What's the purpose of that? In terms of the Christian life, the bell ringing out, the message ringing out, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God, glorify your Father in heaven. So believers ought to stand out in the way they live, in the way they love, so much so that non-believers will see this, experience it and, say, and ask about it. What makes you so different? Well, I believe in Jesus. That's what makes me so different. And one day they glorify God because of it. As we promote the gospel... Friends, opportunities will arise as we do that. Okay, third one, being prepared. So 1 Peter 3 verse 15, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. A God's story, my story. Have it ready. God's story, my story. Wildlife warriors, well, need to hear this perhaps more than others. Good thing to be prepared, uh, learn, think about it first. Uh, gentleness and respect. They're often so ready to share Jesus that they forget about the gentleness and respect thing. But bush tucker men, and I suspect there's probably more bush tucker men here than wildlife warriors, we need to hear that you need to be ready. We need to be ready, prepared, ready to proclaim, to speak and give a reason for the hope that we have. In our preparedness, we ought to be watchful and thankful for opportunities praying for opportunities and share, to share the good news of Jesus. That might be at school, it might be at home, it might be at work, wherever it is. It's a prayer I think that God loves to answer. Pray, God, that you give me an opportunity to share Jesus today. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 16 down the bottom there, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. All right, fourth way the Bible speaks of promoting the gospel is by living an attractive life. Now, that doesn't mean you need to become supermodels, but it means something quite different than that. Uh, Titus 2 tells us that if our households are not one of love, respect and self-control, then the word of God could be maligned. That's the word that's used. In verses 6 to 8, the older men can be of such a good example, or such an example of self-control and sound teaching and integrity that those who oppose Christianity will have nothing bad to say. In fact, even in our workplaces, Paul goes on to tell Titus, Christians can make the gospel of our God and Saviour attractive by the way we work. Now, being a jerk, being a jerk never helps Jesus be heard. It's a good lesson in life. <laughs> Being a jerk never helps Jesus be heard. It doesn't. But a loving Christian marriage does. So does a hard, honest, hard-working, honest Christian worker or a kind and generous response to a stressed supermarket employee. It all helps to promote the gospel. Okay, one more. Here's our fifth way that we can uh, promote the gospel. Uh, and, and we touched on this a bit last week, unity. Now, I've only got time to talk about it briefly today. There's great power in church unity as, we, as together we promote the gospel. Uh, John, I spoke about this last week from Acts chapter 6, you might remember. We as God's church are an advertisement for the gospel. If there, is a, if there are divisive problems within a church, that church will always have problems reaching out. Uh, friends, I'm very thankful that I don't see those problems in our church, but we still need to heed the warning, don't we? We still need to remember these things. How about our final P? Our final P, we've talked about proclaiming, we've talked about promoting. Well, the last one is we talk about praying and then we're actually going to pray. When we pray, this is what we do. When we pray, we recognise in trust that the power is in the message and not in the messenger. It's true, isn't it? That's what we do when we pray. Prayer actually is just essentially trust. That's what it is. So when we pray, we recognise that the power actually is in the message and not in the messenger. The power is with God and not with me. That's what we do when we pray. That's why it's so important to pray. In prayer, we relax in, in that sense. And in prayer, we're faithful. In prayer, we ask God to use us. 
Now, Colossians 4, 2-6, I've got up on the screen there. It gives us a clear example of what Christians should pray for. If you're ever stuck to pray at the start of a day and you're thinking maybe it's in response to what we've heard tonight, we think, well, how can I be, how can I be a, good, a, good, um, a, a, a follow of, good disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus when I go to work the next day? Um, how do I do that? Well, pray this prayer. Pray what Paul asked to pray. I'm going to read it through and then I'm going to pray it. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul writes to the Church of Colossae. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So he's in jail at the time. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I'm going to pray that now for us as God's church. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray, we pray that we would be watchful and thankful. Lord God, we ask that you would open a door for your message, for the gospel, for the truth about Jesus, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Lord, we pray that we may proclaim it clearly. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders, that we would indeed make the most of every opportunity you give us. And we pray, Lord, that our conversation won't be boring, but it will be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know, that we may know, how to answer everyone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.